executive director of the Massachusetts Newscast, the official podcast of the Massachusetts Coastal Coalition, with host myself, Joe Rossi, and co-host and vice chair of the Massachusetts Coastal Coalition, Tim Williams. are back with another edition of the No Flood Newscast. And Tim, uh, thanks for joining me again and being together here uh, through, you know, another episode where we are uh, in our own locations, um, getting some great guests uh, to come on. And uh, we have a really great one today. I mean, I think it's, you know, it's really interesting, Tim, you know, and all the guests that we've had on since we started the, the podcast uh, over a year ago, you know, it's, it, they're all diversified. I keep saying that every time we have a guest on, they're not just doing one thing in one place within the industry, they're doing many things. And I think our next guest really emphasizes uh, that, that goal that we set with having on guests. Um, so I'd like to introduce to everybody um, our next guest, which is Tom Little, who is uh, President, Executive Vice President of Floodproofing.com. And uh, Tom, thanks for joining us today. Joe, Tim, thanks for having me. It's great to be with you guys. And uh, we're doing this on Veterans Day. So we'll start off by thanking our, our veterans and uh, our true heroes uh, of the country. So, But it's great, great to be with you guys today. Yeah, and, and absolutely, we'd be remiss if we didn't thank our veterans um, and also, you know, really taking the time to today, um, not just to acknowledge our veterans, but to spend some time with family to uh, thank them for the sacrifices to our country, absolutely. Um, so we want to get started today, you know, as I mentioned in the intro here, um, diversification is kind of the key word in terms of, you know, what our guests do in the industry. And you're no exception. So talk a little bit about kind of what you guys do um, at floodproofing.com and the other portfolio of um, businesses um, that you represent. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I've been at this uh, from, a, you know, with involved in the floodplain management community, flood protection, flood insurance for 16 years now. Um, you know, I'm a certified floodplain manager. Uh, I'm also a licensed uh, insurance producer. So I uh, really understand how the codes um, uh, reflect in an insurance premium, kind of bridge that gap, uh, which, uh, which is unique for the industry. And so, you know, we run and manage a portfolio of companies that are all laser focused on uh, either flood uh, protection or insurance services. Um, you know, we got our start with SmartVent. In the uh, late 90s, uh, SmartVent is a line of engineered flood vents. Uh, it's a form of wet flood proofing. Um, we are very proud. We're the first ever uh, ICC evaluated and certified engineered line of flood vents. And so that's like our pedigree. That's where we got started is with that brand. And then from there, we branched out. We learned when we learned there was maybe a void within the floodplain management space or industry we were just determined to solve that problem. And, and from there, we branched out and um, started our insurance agency in 2014. And 
we uh, now provide flood insurance across the country um, through uh, and, and, and offer a program called the Flood Risk Evaluator, which is a way of auditing somebody's elevation certificate and current uh, flood insurance policy, identify ways to reduce premiums. Maybe that's mitigation, maybe it's picking up on errors, but that's a big part of uh, our, our overall business. And then floodproofing.com. Really what you'll see are representatives uh, branding themselves under our company overall. It's like you can call it our umbrella. And we sell wet flood proofing products like flood vents. And then we have dry flood proofing products, barriers and shields. And, and uh, our latest addition, line of flood proof windows that are passive. And those are really geared towards the, the commercial application. But at the root of it, we are problem solvers uh, every scenario is like a puzzle and we have a great engineering staff and develop products and services that pretty much help anybody in, uh, in, in the way of uh, flood protection and flood insurance. Wow. Diver like I said, diversification, definitely um, making sure that you're touching every single part of uh, the, the flood industry or the needs of, of those that are looking for protection. I think that's, you know, and, and when we talk to people um, about mitigation, sometimes the words used so much that people get lost in, you know, what is flood mitigation? What does that actually look like? And what does that do? So tell our listeners a little bit about what mitigation, maybe what that means to you in, in, in the companies that you, you're, you're, you represent. You know, what does that mitigation mean? What is that actually doing for someone? Right. No, I mean, it's, um, it's a great question. And, and so when you look at flood mitigation, and, and I refer to it as flood protection, or you'll hear flood proofing, you know, one of the things that, uh, that we're going to be able to do, we're not going to stop the flood, Right. We're not doing a structural levee or, or, or flood wall. We're not stopping the flood water or the flooding from happening, but we're gonna be able to mitigate damage on a home or on a building. And we do that with these systems and approaches. And so tying it back to the insurance, um, you know, we're also going to reduce claims, right? I mean, that's really what we're doing. So if we just look at, uh, a residential application, you know, per, well, one, best practices, but then two, the building codes and FEMA regulations. With residential, we're going to be elevating our first living floor up above the base flood elevation, plus any freeboard, right, going above and beyond that. And then that enclosed space, that foundation that's below the floodplain level, that's subject to potential hydrostatic or even hydrodynamic pressures, the force of flood water up against the foundation wall. So that's where flood vents are gonna come into play. And it's a form of wet flood proofing. So now to mitigate potential structural damage to that home, which would be a significant claim the displacement of a family if the foundation failed, right? We have flood vents and those flood vents go around the perimeter of the foundation and they automatically are gonna allow flood water and debris. You know, the ICC codes require a three inch fear to that pass through an engineered flood vent to, to meet their requirements. So we're gonna allow that debris and flood water to equalize on either side of the wall, right? When you have an unlevel amount of water on either the exterior or interior, some cases, right? That pressure can cause structural damage, the wall to collapse, structural cracks and so forth. So that's wet flood proofing, right? And in residential, you have to elevate new construction. When you look at a commercial structure, 
you can wet flood proof a commercial street. You can elevate it. You can build up a, a building. We, we've done projects in Charleston, for instance, Medical University of South Carolina, elevated up on a crawl space, flood vents around the perimeter. It's high and dry. That's commercial application. But what you see a lot in the industry is dry flood proofing of these commercial structures. All right. Codes allow it. Uh, FEMA allows it. You can get a dry flood proofing credit through the NFIP. Um, so, so what we do with dry flood proofing is we're putting barriers and shields around any penetration points around the building, All right? That could be a storefront that we need to protect with maybe a composite panel. Maybe they're using flood proof window systems, um, right? That's a passive solution. But the walls, the foundation walls are designed to take the force of flood water, be substantially in, um, impermeable, right? And so, uh, and then any of the penetration points, we're gonna put a barrier shield in front of it to prevent the flood water from coming in. And that would be a form of, of dry flood proofing. You know, and from a commercial standpoint, um, you know, we wanna maintain business continuity, right? When you look at a community and it gets flooded by a disaster, whatever it might be, riverine or, or storm surge, uh, uh, what you're gonna do is you, you're gonna have this recovery period um, and our businesses, whether that's a supermarket, for instance, you know, if you have those dry flood proofing elements in, in place, now that community has, you know, a place to, to uh, buy groceries and support the, uh, the rebuild. Um, so it's really, really critical that, you know, from a flood prevention standpoint, we're not going to stop the flooding, but with flood protection devices, we're going to be able to, um, you know, uh, stop damage, right, and help with recovery times and reduce claims from an insurance standpoint. So Tom, a lot of our listeners are, are residential people. And, you know, we talk about the smart vents and they're great products for people to do the wet proofing side. You know, I see that you also do some things for simple things that protect their utilities down in basements, whether they be, um, you know, flood covers, utility flood covers. Talk a little bit about that simple product and how that might be able to save somebody, you know, their furnace or their hot water heater that's sitting in that basement. Yeah, no, excellent, excellent point, Tim. You know, when we look at, uh, I spoke to new construction, right? So let's take it down to there's an existing home, right? And, and, and what can you do to retrofit your, your, your uh, property to make it more flood resilient? And you speak to these utility covers and um, um, uh, we have a line of products. Uh, they're called Cobia flood protection covers. And what they do is they live beneath your furnace or boiler or hot water heater that might be in say a basement in a flood prone area. And so a couple inches of water against one of those mechanical units and it's destroyed and it's a full replacement. And gosh, in New England, for instance, God forbid that happens in the uh, fall or winter months, um, that's devastating, right? Um, so, so what these covers do is they can be retrofitted in at the time of replacement, say you're putting a brand new hot water heater in, you can actually purchase one of these devices um, for you know a couple hundred dollars. It slips underneath the hot water heater cover. And what you do is, there's instructions, you shut off your gas or, and, and whatnot, flip that switch, and then you pull this cover up and fasten it to the top of your floor uh, joist above. And now you have four foot of protection against flood water, against your hot water heater. Uh, being damaged. 
And that's also uh, certified through the International Co-Council Evaluation Service. So you can do it for your hot water heater, and then you can put one underneath your furnace or boiler, and then lift that up prior to a flood and protect that unit. So at least, again, it's not gonna prevent the flooding, but it's gonna prevent the damage and you're gonna not have any sort of replacement to do with your mechanicals. Yeah, and you know, that's, and that's a really great point, you know, in terms of preventing that damage and in, in retrofit, you know, uh, uh, situations where you've got something that's existing already. And, you know, we've, we, Tim and I have both seen situations where the claim, the severe repetitive loss has beca been because of a utility replacement every, you know, five years, right? They've got to replace the utilities from a basement flooding. Um, so I think that is certainly a critical element um, and an example, you know, and I think that's a great example of things that may not be creditable. And this is where you mentioned earlier, Tom, you kind of bridge that gap between, you know, mitigation and insurance where, yeah, maybe the furnace being protected doesn't give you an insurance credit, but it sure does help you down the road, whether that be avoiding a loss or uh, having higher rates because you filed a claim. So, you know, people are looking for, you know, what's going to save me money. Well, that might not save you money in the short term, but in the long term, it could certainly save a lot of heartache and money down the road. Absolutely. And it's such a simple product that, you know, most of the time you just see them on cinder blocks and they're only giving you a couple inches of, mm -hmm. of protection. Like, you know, with this, it's, it's a great product that if you know a storm's coming. Mm -hmm. it's, it's simple. So, yeah. And, and so, you know, on that, you know, with, with the different uh, products that, you know, uh, that, that SmartVent and, and FloodProofing.com and, and risk reduction that you, that you guys offer there, you know, it's obviously clear that, you know, mitigation through, and I was just talking to somebody the other day, we can no longer in, in our uh, vocabulary talk about floods as an isolated uh, event, right? The, the, the flooding, the idea of flooding is being pulled into so many different conversations nowadays, whether it be through, you know, climate change or climate migration, which is the new, uh, you know, conversation that's happening. Where do people go when they, you know, I mean, look at what's happened in the Gulf this year, right? Six storms that landed on the Louisiana, Mississippi coast this year. Um, you know, when people don't want to be there anymore, where, where are they going to go? And so having these conversations around flooding is starting to permeate into many other places in our, in our world. You know, with that being said, recently, um, you, you and, and several others had formed the Flood Mitigation Industry Association. Talk us a, to us a little bit about, you know, what that association's goals are and, and what, what some of the activities are that you're, you're doing through the association. Yeah, uh, great. So yes, the uh, FMIA, um, Flood Mitigation Industry Association, it's a nonprofit organization. Um, it was formed with um, other industry partners, um, whether they manufacture flood protection devices or, or uh, products um, to engineers that work um, pretty much on a normal basis in the floodplain and other interested, uh, you know, parties. Um, and what we wanted to do is, uh, to your point, Joe, because of storms and, and, and heck, the uh, flood factors of the space where consumers are becoming more aware of their flood risk more than ever, um, they need to know that there's solutions out there to mitigate their existing uh, home or building. 
all right? And so we are a collective voice of uh, professionals that are focused on protecting um, whether you're building something new or you want to retrofit your structure or home to be more flood resilient. We are that voice to educate consumers. And we do a lot of um, uh, educational type of uh, outreach. Um, we advocate uh, for a lot of uh, you know, policy changes to, to maybe incorporate um, a way within, for example, the National Flood Insurance Program has a flood loss avoidance coverage um, where you can tap into uh, up to $1,000 to you know, prevent damage to your home, but it's got a tight window of when you can utilize it, right? You got to do it. You got to spend the money on you know, a hunk of plywood right before a storm's hitting, and then you can get reimbursed for it. And so as an example, you know, we are pushing to have that, uh, that, that program uh, broadened, right? That, that coverage broadened. Expand the amount of money that a, can, uh, a policyholder could uh, tap into, and let's use it for a product that's reusable time and time again. Like Tim spoke to the Cobia flood protection product, flood vents that can be retrofitted into a foundation, a shield or a barrier that you can use time and time again to protect your doorways and windows is much better than a hunk of plywood and some plastic sheathing, right? And so those are some examples of what the Flood Mitigation Industry Association, we're, we're behind a lot of those um, uh, uh, type of topics and pushing for some changes within our existing programs and the awareness, you know, uh, to Tim's point, there are ways to mitigate your property today and they're simple solutions. And in some cases, they're not super expensive and, and, and you can mitigate your loss. You can prevent damage from flood water. And that's what our group's all about is getting the word out that those solutions are out there. Hey, Tom, on, on your group, you know, you mentioned the consumer side. I, I want to ask you a little bit about the, you know, the municipalities or the communities and what communities, how they're attacking this from a standpoint, because they, they have to deal with these, these prone, flood prone areas all the time. And are they looking at solutions out there to, to stop some of these flood waters from, you know, you never can stop it, but you can, you know, mitigate it or you know, push it to a different direction. You know, what are they doing out there? Or what do you no, think? I mean, yeah, uh, Tim, from a community level standpoint, um, you'll, you'll see the sandbag lines too, right? You know, you'll, sure. you'll be able to drive up and chuck your six sandbags in the back of a trunk. Yeah. Um, with social distancing these days, you know, having the sandbag lines is, is uh, not smart. Uh, we all know the reasons why. So um, what we are actively doing as a, as a group and as an industry is trying to put that there are sandbag replacements out there. It doesn't require as much manpower. It doesn't require um, disposal because these are reusable systems. Um, cost effect and better protection. These are these are designed and performance tested products that our industry has produced to solve this solution. And it's an awareness thing. They're out there, and um, communities are taking notice. They are looking at okay, um, maybe I can divert the water from that particular city block into a, a different area. And there's these 
these systems and approaches that exist out there. If you go to floodproofing.com and click on the products, you'll see a slew of just examples of these types of products. Some are standardized, some are even customizable uh, to a community's needs, we'll say. And then, and then likewise, um, something of, an, of interest that, you know, I'm kind of speaking to the non-structural elements that are out there, but then we look at a, uh, a, a seawall or a flood wall that was built 40 plus years ago and sea level rise and the frequencies of storms and better data to know, well, heck, that seawall or flood wall isn't high enough. There's solutions to now extend those up. So communities are looking at um, like floodproof glazing that gets attached to the flood wall to expand the, expand the height of protection, but you're not sacrificing the view of the residents that they so love, right, in some of these areas where they are being obstructed by four or five feet more of concrete. Well, now it's, it's, it's essentially a laminated structural uh, glass sandwiched in between a robust frame that can withstand the floodwater depths, hydrodynamic forces, and debris impacts. So those are the different things that communities are now diving into because, listen, at the end of the day, we're talking sandpags, that's caveman days, right? We're well beyond that as an industry. And that's a focus of our group is to let folks know that we've come a long way. Wow, that's a really great perspective because I think, you know, Tom, as, as we've talked about before and as Tim and I, you know, the stuff that we're working on the Costa Coalition, it really, a lot of this has to begin at the community level, whether that be preventative measures, whether that just be the community organizing outreach activities, right, just to, you know, notify people that these are options. Um, I think, you know, as you mentioned earlier, as the flood IQs of the world make people more aware of their flood risk, and that's now been expanded to realtor.com, and will only continue to permeate into our social fabric, this idea of flood risk. Um, it's going to be only more critical um, that mitigation becomes a forefront uh, in, in our everyday lives. And in that being said, you know, I think every guest that we have on, we like to always go down the road of where are we headed, right? We understand that we've uh, gotten to a point in, the, uh, in mitigation where, uh, and in flooding where we are where we are today. There's, you know, varying different mitigation ap uh, applications, varying different, uh, you know, flood insurance options. Um, but we all know, uh, and we've emphasized it in, the, in our podcast over the years, that risk rating 2.0 is coming down the road. And, you know, what that means, uh, you know, more info is coming out daily on, you know, what could that mean? What does that look like? Um, and as you know, Tom, in your experience, more in newer products, uh, and, and I've looked at, you know, for example, the windows and doors you mentioned, I mean, incredible, you know, floodproofed openings that are, like you mentioned, passive type of, of opportunities for really anyone who, again, may not get an insurance credit, but they've got a door that goes into a basement that continues to leak, and they want to stop the water from coming in, and that's something that they could do. So where in your mind, are we going in the next 10 to 20 years when it comes to mitigation and anything else that might be associated with that, whether that be uh, insurance or, or anything like that? Where in your mind are we headed? So, um, you know, I'm a, uh, so we've really 
with the consumer awareness now to your point about realtor.com integrating in the, the flood factor and, and also um, the FEMA map data as well, right? As a comparison uh, up against, you know, homeowners are, are now becoming more flood savvy or flood aware of risk more than ever in the history of floodplain management and, and everything that uh, floodplain managers uh, sought out to do. And so with that understanding, we as a uh, country now, with especially real estate being the way it is right now from a residential standpoint, extremely, uh, well, hot, um, we now have the ability to retrofit more homes to be flood resilient. And I think we are going to start to see that consumers are going to be uh, driving that. Uh, the codes already exist for new, but I think the consumer demand is going to drive the existing inventory that's in harm's way, that is, that is uh, susceptible to flooding and damage. The consumers are going to drive the retrofits. And it's not just going to be, you know, elevation is the number one. Let's get these structures up in the air, elevated. We'll put flood vents in them all day long. But you have these slab on grade structures that maybe you can't, you can't uh, elevate it. Cost benefits not there. Um, yes, some folks will retreat and there'll be some buyouts, but you're not going to have that many buyouts. So there, you're going to see a trend of of maybe dry flood proofing these structures. To your point, we're gonna put a barrier over that doorway. We're gonna protect those windows with a shield. We're gonna put um, mechanical protection in place like the Cobia flood proofing um, sleeves. Um, we're gonna do those elements, but the consumer is gonna demand it, right? The consumer is gonna demand it. We're gonna to start to see home inspectors actually doing flood reporting when they do a home inspection home inspection on behalf of the buyer right because because now we have this build up awareness home inspector is going to go out make sure you have the flood resiliency on your checklist because i want to know you know this this is maybe this home showing up as a five out of ten on flood factor on realtor.com i want to know is it, is it elevated does it have flood vents are my mechanicals protected is there anything else that i could maybe do to have the comfort level to say I want to buy that house. I feel comfortable doing that. I think that's going to be a big movement is the consumer demand driving the retrofit. That's a really interesting point, you know, and in, in actually going down that road about two years ago, year or two ago, there was a report that came out that said that, you know, sea level rise is already impacting valuations of certain real estate um, because of flooding, uh, recurring flooding or perceived flooding. So, you know, my response to that report, you know, anecdotally, we, we went out, the Costa Coalition went out and talked to some real estate professionals, uh, and universally, the feedback, again, anecdotally, was that an elevated home in a coastal area sells for more and, for, and quicker than a non-elevated home in a coastal area, which, to me, speaks to what I think you're saying, which is, mitigation actually will end up adding value to these structures at the end of the day. Do you see the same thing happening down the road? A hundred percent, hundred percent. And, you know, uh, look at Houston and there's an area called Meyerland, right? And, uh, you know, it's, uh, everybody talks about Harvey, but pre-Harvey, it was hit with two other significant rainfall events and flooded out. 
the same homes three times in the in three consecutive years. And so when you visit that area, you'll actually see the elevated homes with signs on the front of the home that says this house did not flood. Right. Wow. It's used as a marketing um, uh, element. And right next door is, yeah, a slab on grade house. And and the value of that home is nowhere near the value of the elevated house. Right. And so it's already it's it's happening. It's in place. It's just going to continue to grow. Um, and and the, the main the main item is when we talk about the retrofit of existing homes, there are methods today. It's not like this technology and approaches need to be developed. They're here. They've been implemented. Elevate. We've been elevating homes for a hundred years. No exaggeration. You know, yeah. picking a house up and moving it is not something new. So to go straight up with it is is not. It may seem complicated, but there are professionals in the industry that the families have been in this business for decades and can do it. No problem. Now we need some funding out there, and there's a lot of um, uh, work going on with the funding element. But simple retrofits. You have a crawl space, retrofit flood vents in, you can do it and see a return on investment in just flood insurance savings in less than a year and a half. And now you mitigated your, you know, likelihood of damage to that foundation. So there's solutions out there. I think you're right. I, I do think we're on the cusp of it. I still see a, it, we're in the phase of growing, you know, the technology has been there, but now the demand is catching up. You know, I, I, I don't see... Before it was archaic, you know, even like sump pumps that don't give you any credits. You know, mm -hmm. if you had a power failure, most of them didn't work. Now you can have a remote controlled one from your phone, you know, or whatever it is. And they have battery backups on these things that will last for days. So, you know, the products are out there and people are starting to, to have that demand for it. So you're absolutely right. I think it's just going to grow you know, from those homes. And, and to that point, you know, one of the things that we're doing now is at the Costa Coalition is trying to evaluate, you know, the, a big problem that started to emerge uh, in the industry, which is those that would normally mitigate a structure, um, not mitigating because they found an insurance solution that alleviates their, the pain with their premium, right? They're, they're paying $15,000 in NFIP premium. They're getting ready to elevate the home or retrofit it in some way. Oh, but we found a private flood policy for $2,000. So we'll just let it ride until there's, you know, 10 years down the road until there's an issue. It's become something that we're, you know, I think there's been concern for a while that this would happen in, in communities would just drop out of the NFIP because of private flood. But I, I don't see that as happening. I think the concern is mitigation not happening because there are alternative solutions. The point though that I wanna make by saying that though is that, that private and public industry both benefit from mitigation. And, and I think that's something Tom that you've been really keen on is, is advocating for mitigation no matter what your situation is no matter what the, and we've talked about it here today, the mitigation credits, whether they exist or not, you know, getting, getting flooded is not something that uh, anyone wants to or should experience, right? Having that damage, it's not just getting a lower rate on your insurance premium, it's actually going through the loss itself is devastating. So talk to us a little bit about some of the work that you've done with Risk Reduction Plus to make people aware of not just mitigation, but also 
you know, reducing those premiums, but also, you know, making sure that you've connected the reduction in premiums to a reduction in loss as well. I mean, it's in the name of the company, risk reduction. So how, tell us a little bit about how you've made that connection. Yeah, I, I, I can paint the picture probably with an example, right? And so um, we received a call, this is going back now six years, um, from a gentleman, uh, Mr. Wagner, um, Air Force uh, veterans, which is uh, uh, perfect timing, I guess, uh, being today's Veterans Day. But Mr. Wagner called after two years of frustration trying to work through other professionals in Peoria, Illinois, is where he's located along the Illinois River. And uh, he uh, found us via a Google search. And, and uh, we, uh, we heard Mr. Wagner's story. And I mentioned earlier, we solve puzzles. And especially when you're looking at an individual property, it is a puzzle, right? And um, uh, as we looked at Mr. Wagner's home, he was contacting us for a solution to reduce his premium. Mitigation really wasn't on his mind. Um, he was looking for a financial solution to reduce his premium, whatever that might be, okay? And so as we dove in and we looked at, and one of the things we do with Risk Reduction Plus Group, we have a, a, uh, a, a business unit or a service that we provide, which is called the Flood Risk Evaluator, or FRA. And it's, the, it's a process. And so what we did is we had Mr. Wagner send us his elevation certificate and his current flood insurance declaration page. And we did a, an audit on those items. The elevation certificate painted the picture of the home and what was going on from a lowest rated floor, the type of construction, the various elevations against the uh, base flood elevation. And then we had how he was currently being rated. And we'll pick up on errors sometimes that, that a professional made that, that sometimes we don't have to do anything and we can save them money. But in Mr. Wagner's case, we picked up that he had an elevated structure that the first floor was one foot above the base flood elevation and his enclosed area below, which was unfinished, used for parking, storage, and building access only, so that was in compliance, did not have flood vents, okay? So instead of his first living floor, which is above the base flood elevation by one foot, which would be a plus one uh, from a rating standpoint, he was being rated off of that enclosure space, which, mind you, was um, a walkout enclosure, so full height, right? You can walk beneath it. And that was sitting at a negative nine elevation, all right? So the premium was through the roof. And so after evaluating, we called Mr. Wagner back in five minutes and said, Mr. Wagner, you need to put in five, uh, in, in our case, it was our, our brand, smart vent, engineered flood vents, an insulated unit. Each one covers 200 square foot. So it's pretty simple math. We take the footprint, length times the width, it was, uh, it was under a thousand square foot. So five vents were needed to, to, to bring that into compliance and exempt that space from rating. So Mr. Wagner put the vents in. And I'll tell you what, his wife couldn't believe it because they worked on this for two years, right? His wife thought this was some sort of crazy Ponzi scheme, right? That, that you know, you're, this is never going to work. Miss, uh, he's, she's telling her husband. And they got the discount. And I remember Mrs. Wagner became our biggest fan she caught up and she said to to me the one time because they got two FEMA refund checks because we did pick up on rating issues and then their reduction in premium and then she called me and she said Tom 
I just got a third check. Her you know, mortgage company was Wells Fargo. And she says, what do I do with it? I said, well, Mrs. Wagner, you cash it. Go cash that check. That's your money. <laughs> your flood insurance is paid through your escrow account. It just lowered those limits down. So all in all, in all they received $3,000 in total refunds. And the retrofit cost uh, below $1,500 to actually cut the holes in the foundation, put the vents in. The return on investment was instantaneous. Nine months later, nine months now, and we wrote their flood insurance as well. Nine months later, I got a call from Mr. Wagner and he says, Tom, you're not gonna believe it. We're flooding. The Illinois River is flooding. And Mr. Wagner took footage of the live flood, you can actually go to smartvent.com and see this case study video. It's called Meet the Wagners. And so he flooded. The vents did their job. They had no damage whatsoever, no clean, zero clean. And unfortunately, that started a kind of a bad trend for Mr. Wagner. They've been flooded since that initial uh, retrofit four times. Wow. Okay. And they've had zero claims. And Mr. Wagner has done testimonials and he sends us footage every single time. The last video we got, and this was a powerful, uh, a real good example of, of what we do and what makes our job fun, gives you the goosebumps on, on your arms. He sends a picture because now listen, financially, he couldn't afford to live in this house with the premium going up and up. He sends a picture and they're marrying off their daughter at the house and they have it set up. And he took his camera as, as, and, and was showing us where they're going to marry off his daughter. And they have it beautifully set up with all the chairs. And he zooms in on the vent and he says, thank you, smart vent. You made this possible. And it was just the most incredible, the most incredible story. But that is what we do with flood risk evaluator. And you have mitigation. Now, insurance was the driver, right? He wouldn't have, flood protection wasn't on his mind. Why? He didn't flood. He yeah. didn't never flood. And so he put the vents in to reduce his premium, but guess what? It saved his foundation four times now, right? He doesn't have that heartbreak of displacing his family. You know, it's his primary residence. This isn't a secondary home. Um, so, so you have that. And then you have the folks that have gone through a flood who have been displaced. And we talk about, you know, something to do. We have an example in Monroe, North Carolina, Miss Melton runs a tax service business behind her house. She lives down uh, uh, in kind of this gully from, from a major road. And there's a undersized culvert that doesn't do its job and it floods out her property. She just took matters in her own hands. And we talked about a replacement of sandbags. She put the system called Deluvium and now it's four foot of protection. She can roll it out, okay? She's in her 70s. She can roll it out and deploy 10 foot sections that are four foot tall by herself, and then you just zip up the sections. Just a 10 foot by four foot section replaces, no exaggeration, hundreds of sandbags. And she would never be able to protect her home. But now she, she can protect her house from that floodwaters. And does she get a credit for that? No, but she's been flooded before. Her business has been shut down. She's had to move out of her house while things mm -hmm. get gutted and repaired. And, and she does not need or want to have that wear anymore. She has peace of mind that she's got protection with that next heavy rainfall. So these are, there's, there's solutions to your point, Joe, where you'll get a credit. And then there's other solutions out there that yes, 
today you're not seeing a mitigation credit. That's going to change in the future. That's another trend that I think we're going to start to see because it's better to do something than nothing. Right. And that's what the consumer demands starting to create. Well, and and, listeners that have these issues and, and they flood all the time and it's a matter of inches before it's creeping into their doorstep or, you know what I mean? And they, if they have these products, they know they're not going to get a credit, but they, you know, these are the things that people want to know about. Well, and, and that's a great point, Tim, because, and, and Tom, because what's, what's not calculated a lot of the times is the financial burden on other sources that they then become if they're displaced from their, their home. Uh, and by burden, I mean, you know, we as a society, you know, it's really interesting, you know, there's a lot of people out there who say, you know, taxpayers shouldn't be funding the National Flood Insurance Program. Regardless of that point, what they're not recognizing is by having somebody flooded that's not protected, we're supporting as a society those individuals, regardless of the NFIP, the National Flood Insurance Program, we're supporting those individuals through many other societal means where if we had the, the, you illustrated two awesome stories, Tom, where mitigation saved a lot more than just the money on the insurance and to install the vents. It was, you know, countless dollars of having, you know, FEMA go in and do, a, do uh, you know, some type of, um, you know, hotel that they would have to stay in and then having the Red Cross go out and helping them with things that they didn't have coverage for. And so, I mean, the story goes on and on and on about, you know, how those are just several small, I mean, well, not small examples, they're huge examples of small ways that you can make a big impact um, when it comes to reducing loss, reducing insurance premiums, reducing uh, overall, the, the financial uh, impact of a flood. Uh, and I think that's, that's a huge story. With, with that, um, and as we get down, believe it or not, I, before we got on to the podcast, as we do all of our guests, we say, hey, you know, the, the half hour goes by real quick. And, and that has certainly happened here today. Um, but before we go, I want to make sure, Tom, that we talk about, you know, we're talking about financial uh, impacts of uh, floods. No financial impact was seen more than Superstorm Sandy in 2012, and we just passed the eight-year anniversary, which I cannot believe. I've, you know, so I got involved in the industry in insurance um, and in coastal infrastructure before that, but I got involved in the insurance side when Bigger Waters was passed, and then shortly after that was Superstorm Sandy. So, you know, kind of a benchmark on how short or long I've been in the industry, depending on perspective, but it's really incredible to see um, the changes, and and we could go on and on on this, probably do a whole podcast about Superstorm Sandy, the changes um, that we've seen in the industry in every aspect, whether that be to the consumer experience that the NFIP did when it comes to claims, all the way to the landscape of the communities affected from mitigation, Talk to us about how Superstorm Sandy, you know, I, sh- I should mention that you're based in New Jersey and obviously had a firsthand experience with what Superstorm Sandy did. So talk to us a little bit about that, what you've seen in the last eight years uh, in the work that still needs to be done. Yeah, so that's surprising, right? Eight years ago. Um, but uh, 
Superstorm Sandy, uh, like you said, Joe, we are based out of um, New Jersey. We're in what we would call South Jersey. We're about 20 minutes outside of Philadelphia. Um, and it's where um, our main headquarters are. Um, it's where we're rooted and we've got our start. It's actually where our smart vent product line was, uh, was actually invented by a draftsman in Avalon, New Jersey. Um, a lot of folks know Cape May listener-wise, uh, so it's near Cape May. Um, and so we had a lot of homes um, that had our flood protection in place. And so one of the positive takeaways was, and we're talking all about flood mitigation, it worked. Okay. It worked and we had tons of good examples. FEMA did a lot of um, case study examples of elevated structures with protected foundations with engineered flood vents and they had no damage. They were high and dry and, and the foundation was intact. So we did, we learned that. But some of the things that were implemented since that storm that has really also helped from a community rating systems uh, side of things too, which has been one of those, those uh, silver linings for sure. Uh, communities tightened up their floodplain management ordinances. They're, they're essentially their construction codes in these special flood hazard areas, right? And so we saw that, um, well, one, Superstore Sandy proved out that freeboard works, going above and beyond the minimum works, okay? And so most, uh, you know, we saw a lot of um, uh, statewide changes uh, from a code standpoint, but then local municipalities stepping up to go two, three, four foot of freeboard in their ordinance, go up higher. They changed um, zoning restrictions as it pertains to height to make sure that those properties could go up from a flood standpoint, positive change. Um, we saw a lot of um, issues with folks converting space below the BFE into habitable areas, uh, bonus rooms, right? That was affecting CRS ratings or even communities getting into the CRS um, rating system. So. Um, most of the communities up and down the Jersey uh, coast or in flood prone areas have non-conversion agreements. We saw now consumer awareness. We spoke to it earlier. Consumers after a flood like that, um, before they buy, they want to know what's going on. You know, how high is the house? Does it have proper flood vents? Uh, we have communities that have adopted a reinspection before a house is sold in the floodplain. So you're the, the buyer, um, you can't close on that home. It cannot exchange hands until this community does a reinspection to make sure that are the mechanicals protected? Are there proper flood vents in that crawl space or enclosed area? Did it get finished off? If it did, it's gonna have to be removed before the house exchanges hands. And that's been a, that's been a new trend. Um, and, and just overall flood insurance awareness. I mean, that's where you got your, your start, right, Joe, as you said. Um, it's amazing. That's from our side of the business, we problem solve. And we went to Union Beach shortly after Sandy. Union Beach was like ground zero uh, as far as Superstorm Sandy in Jersey. Okay. And um, very blue collar town, um, a lot of primary residents. Okay mostly primary residents. And I remember we packed this gymnasium full, we had, it was at full capacity, 400 folks. And this is eight years ago now, 
So 400 folks, and I remember we had this one-hour presentation prepared to educate folks on what's going on with the NFIP because bigger waters had hit, you know, right before that in July. President Obama signed signed that into effect. So we get into this gymnasium, and we have 400 folks, and we have this hour presentation, and we start through a couple slides, and hands start going up, and we said, "Hmm, let's shut this laptop." And we broke out on tables, and we started to meet with owners one on one. And I said, each one of them is a puzzle. They all had a different story. And we listened to their story. We understand if they were substantially damaged, here's what you're going to have to do. My insurance is going up. We were looking at elevation certificates. And because of that experience and that consumer demand for information, we said, we need to have a way to simplify this. And that's how we developed our flood risk evaluator process. That's literally how it was born. And today, we're, especially with the pandemic, we're doing these virtual outreaches across the country, touching consumers. I mean, that's, that was born out of Superstorm Sandy and the experiences there that is now helping, the, helping others in other um, damaged areas to get them back on their feet and educated on what they have to do. So those are just wow. some key highlights. No, I think that's uh, a really positive outlook at something that, you know, was was seen by many as, uh, I mean, it was a terrible event and, you know, having those great takeaways. I mean, I know, you know, and Tim and I both know from our experience with the NFIP that, you know, just the, in, in since then, so many positives have been taken away from changes, like you mentioned, all the things you mentioned, and then the consumer experience and the way that maps are, you know, outreaches are done and all that type of stuff. I mean, I think it's really, there's really been a, uh, a silver lining to to what happened uh, with Superstorm Sandy. Um, so with that, believe it or not, Tom, we are um, at the end of our time here today, and this has been great. We have um, really learned, and I, and I really hope the stakeholders listening have understood that mitigation, mitigation, we cannot say it enough, uh, and it's not just, you know, for those listening, not just Tim and I that beat the drum. It's a national issue where, you know, and you've got a leading expert here telling all our stakeholders that, you know, mitigation is going to be the key. And, and if you, you know, small to large, creditable or not, that is where the, that's where we're heading. Um, so, Tom, we want to thank you so much for being on the No Flood Newscast today. Joe, Tim, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, I appreciate the time. This was, this was great.